All right, guys, welcome back to the Human Capital Podcast. We are with Erica Jones, Lululemon ambassador and founder of the Yoga Coalition, which I'm super excited to dive into that because I like I'm really curious about that. Um, what's up? Like the timing was mm-hmm. we were saying before we got on, like the timing could not be better for this. Oh, what's <laughs> up? <laughs> I'm just exactly exhale. I'm so glad. To, I'm so glad. To, I feel like I, I'm coming out of like, you know, the fog of abyss. Have my, like, have a water, a glass of whiskey, ready here. So I'm doing pretty good right now. Uh, you know, I'm I'm in LA for the month, so that's really nice. Um, which is great to like walk outside and um, be able to process everything that's been that went down over the past week. Um, and what else is going on? I'm trying to really um, rest my brain, my thoughts, uh, soul, spirit, heart, um, because what a time to be alive. <laughs> right. um, in the midst of a pandemic, in the midst of racial reckoning, in the midst of transition of leadership um so yeah that's gonna be how are you um uh, yeah all things considered i think i'm doing pretty well i think you know everything that we went through in 2020 i think prepped me for more chaos so i think it's kind of like when everything went down last week it was kind of like eh, yes all the feelings, but at the same time, it's almost like that, I wouldn't call it survival mechanism, but that more actually more so mindfulness mechanism kicked mm-hmm. in, um, similar to, you know, all things with COVID last year and as well as George Floyd and the riots in Minneapolis. Like it felt like last week was kind of sent me to that place. Like, okay, shit's going down and people are like, and all the cues were there too. Like the thing, the thing happened, the storming of the Capitol happened. And then this, the, the same people that like you expected to like spew division from before, like did it again. And like, it's, so it's like social media became a dumpster fire again. And I feel like, um, people arguing, hating each other. And so I was like kind of expected at this point for me. So I think, Um, but I do feel optimistic somehow. Like I feel like, um, okay, the timing of, there's a lot of things converging. It feels like things are coming to a head finally or something, or like there's, it's like the last thing before like a changeover or like a new era or something, but I could be wrong there. Who knows? Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I love that you said that. It's like, we thought that we reached the tipping point you know, with George Floyd, and obviously I don't know who's listening to this wherever they are, um, particularly in Minneapolis. I'm like, oh, there's there's lots of tipping points. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, and to your point, I, I love that you brought up the element about social media um, because I was talking to my niece <clears throat> today about it and she's 18. And I was really go, you know, 
I like to go on the social media at those times, not to really digest and engage what people are saying. There are some things that I can digest. And then when I go in there, I have to like really put on bifocals to the point where I can't see and I'm, and I'm observing the tone and observing um, like how people are communicating to each other. And, you know, I, I teach yoga as well. And this, ironically, this weekend, I was leading a yoga teacher training and we were talking about um, the yamas and niyamas, which are like ethical uh, um, principles in yoga. And one of the things that I really got to was there, there one of the ethical principles is around non-stealing. And, um, and what was so fascinating by going through and rereading that is there is a section about non-stealing for the future and for our children. And I was talking to my niece, um, steal it, well, it's stealing from the future. And I was talking to my niece today about it. And she was like, I don't know how many instances my generation has to keep seeing the same history repeated she's like in school we go to history class we learn about history and you read it about history but then you see history repeated in real life and she just graduated high school last year so her whole senior like the last half of her senior year was you know taken away and her group her peers experienced some of the, the most mass shootings, you know, that anyone has experienced. And then they vote for the first time in a political, you know, democracy that is so toxic. And where we're saying, you got to go out and vote. And we're not educating them why they need to vote or like how to vote, teaching them like, you got to vote on these issues, you know, and like this, that or the other. And then they see this racial reckoning and my nieces are all, my nieces are all biracial. So they definitely have points of view on both sides where I I hear them really trying to discover their voice. She's like, yeah, so when last week happening, it was crazy. It was preposterous. And like, I could see the hypocrisy from what happened with the Black Lives Matter and what's happening here. And I just wonder, why am I reliving what I read about in a history book if we're supposed to make it better? And that was really emotional for me. That literally was right before this call. So I'm like, we are stealing from the future of what this generation is ingesting. And then they're on, she's like, I was like, so how did you find out about it? And she's like, oh, woke up. And it was like on Snapchat. So then I'm thinking like, okay, they're on social media. And something that I offered her was, it's really important for you, especially on social media. You know, if you've never seen the show Social Dilemma, that you are looking at both sides of the aisle because everything that you may see and read, like like there's little discernment for truth. And like, that is what we're feeding our future generation. Like they're literally seeing grown adults act out with anger, um, with a lack of empathy, 
and this sense of rage that's really noisy. And what we're also stealing from them is their ability to process information, to process their own thoughts. And we want to sit around and wonder why our mental well-being and the mental well-being of children and kids and adults are at the levels that they're at. Why we are, you know, there's, there's an epidemic of, you know, narcotic, like self-inducing, like external resources to numb because we can't even like make it quiet um, for them to be able to process when their brains are still developing, you know, like their brains are still developing until they're 26 years old. And, um, and so that's where a lot of the elements of yoga and meditation come in for me is that I want us to sit in a meditative seat for a really long time and like calm our sympathetic nervous system because it is on levels that we've never seen before. And um, so that's, that's what's been in my brain for a really long time. Like how this is like really, and it's not even impacting the generation right now. It's also impacting the generation behind their generation. And then the work that for those who choose to step into that work, that work, the undoing of what they're seeing and how they're experiencing it so that they're able to like respond differently. And then they teach their kids and then they teach their kids and um, like what's their personal responsibility and like our legacy that we have in how we're giving back to the future so that they're not continuously reading in history books. Because now, you know, I have two nephews, my nephew who's six, he'll be reading in a history book about January 6, 2020 when he's like in college. It's wild. Right? Like, yeah. how is that? So then it's like Pearl Harbor, not to dismiss it, becomes so far removed yeah. mm -hmm. that like something that we're living through and witnessing that like our grandparents fought for. It's like history repeating itself. And when do we just like say we need to like, we really embodied like the yoga ethic of like non-stealing and um, yeah, so I just, that's where my heart has been a lot. And really another thing that you talked about, I mean, I came like, <laughs> no, I, love it. I, I haven't really spoken to that many people. <laughs> it's so good. No, that's what, that's <laughs> so, why I do this. I, so really like real quick i'm just now realizing that like i didn't even like give you a chance to introduce yourself like there's <laughs> which okay so we just dove right in you and that's the thing but like i feel like you and i like really just met this year but like i feel like you're someone who like and i'll get into kind of like how i came across you and like what really resonates like with me about you um, but when I, when we first met, I just knew that, okay, this is another person who is seeing the world on a different plane, like I am. And I, and I feel like that's something that's rare. And when I find that in somebody, I'm like, okay, I know I can go deep with this person or go in right away. Cause like we're, we're like 
we're seeing things on a different level than most people. So real quick, we'll, I want to like put a pin in everything you just said. We'll come back to it. But yeah, introduce yourself for the people that might not know you. There's a lot of people that do know you and really appreciate you like I do. So for those who don't, who is Erica? Oh, who am I? This is such a great question. I am uh, curious, like oh, curiosity. It's like who I am at my core. Um, I am an innovator in thoughts and really looking to how do we keep elevating and evolving um, from status quo. I um, am a daughter. My parents have been together for 40 years. They've been married for 40 years. They've been together since, I don't know, the beginning of time. <laughs> and um, as I'm oldest, oldest sibling. I have a younger sister and brother. I say the oldest sibling because anyone that's out there that's like oldest sibling, it's like oldest child syndrome to a T. Um, and I'm born and raised in Lincoln, Nebraska, so um, Midwest, and um, lived a lot on the East Coast. Um, and um, I would also say like a huge part of myself is um, like an empath and, and extremely intuitive. And I think it goes back to like my astrological sign of my cancer. Um, and so, and really um, highly sensitive. So like a lot of the things that we, you and I like just jammed on our and or talked, uh, talked about, like I, I have to really protect my energy around it, um, which I, I noticed that at the height of George Floyd, like I am so in it and I'm so energized by it. And at the same time, it's like, it can also feel so overwhelming to me because it's like, I can see everything that's happening, you know, like before it's happening. <laughs> and, um, and so I, I have to like really protect my energy because to remind myself to like slow down um, and like rest and, uh, take deep breaths. Um, because it's then by like resting, it just enables me to be able to like be more intuitive and hyper aware of people and their experiences around me. So yeah, that's, that's who I am. And actually I'll wait to get to yoga coalition. Cause I feel like there's so much like we were on something with what we were just talking about. So I want to, I want to return to that. Um, what I think this actually takes me to, I remember one of the first things that really, really caught my attention about you was, do you remember that video that you took? I don't, I wouldn't say it was a confrontation that you filmed, but like, I remember back in, it was in May or June when everything went down with the riots and George Floyd um, you had walked up on a man who was visibly upset. Like he was, he was pissed off. He was ranting about stop wrecking the city, like we, all that stuff. And, and uh, you had like walked up and filmed that and like filmed yourself just having a conversation with this guy. Um, walk me through, like, what was, do you remember that? First of all? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So actually what happened is he came up to me. Okay. So I was standing, I worked at Metro Transit 
um, the transportation company like at, in Minneapolis. And we, like my team, like my little team, we did this whole campaign almost exactly a year from that moment where it was like all about kindness, uh, inclusivity, harassment, because that was like the issue. And so we like did all these like campaigns and we went to some of the most vulnerable um, bus stops, train stops, and did a lot of like outreach at those areas. And so one of the areas that we did a lot of work at was like in flames. And I was standing there like thinking nearly a year ago, we were doing all of this community outreach and I was in shock, like minding my own business, standing on this overpass, like taking a photo because at this, I don't work at Metro Transit anymore. And I did it at that time, taking a photo and like sending it to my old boss because like this, this is heartbreaking. And what people don't realize is like, Metro, like transportation companies are so small and like the budgets to like rebuild these things are so small, you know, and it's taxpayers dollars that have to like rebuild this. And so this man like just comes charging at me and was like, this is your fault. Like screaming, like, this is your people. And I was like, oh God, like I literally could just feel tapas, like the heat, as we say in yoga, like so of course, like, you know, I, I was like, I am going, I don't know. So I majored in journalism as well. Um, and I've always grown up with like a camera on my shoulder, like home videos and everything. And I was like, this is a moment that like, I knew how I was going to like, this is a moment where I'm not recording this cause I'm scared, but I just started recording the moment. I don't even, there was no reason. And I just knew that this was going to go a different way than how it started. So um, he was just like really screaming. And in the video, like you can hear me just like exhale, like, which is like releasing this man coming at me to charge at me. <laughs> and like, I knew that he was visibly angry and I had to like meet him where he was at by asking questions. And so finally he was able to like temper down. And I don't know if it was mom is significant other. I don't know who the woman was, but she was able to intervene. And I, so I work in inclusion and diversity as well. Um, full-time um, at a, you know, one of the largest companies in the world. And so I do intercultural assessment. So I knew this man immediately, like generalized, putting me in this bucket of like, these are your people, like, he immediately was profiling me because I was black. He was immediately creating this stereotype. Um, and it, how do I respond to that? So I engaged in this conversation with them and what I, towards the end when the conversation was able to simmer down um, and me really standing in like my own true North alignment, my own body, this is why everyone practice yoga, like from my feet is I was able to have a conversation with them. And at the end, like give him a challenge that I knew walking away that he was going to have this lens about black people, that they were destructive. They're burning down buildings because he just screamed that at me. And I was simply standing there. And so at the end of the video, I shared 
like my challenge is that he has to meet every single person like and new in the moment. Like what I would say in yoga, it's like a beginner's mind, right? Like seeing a new, a new person, he can't then think because the city of Minneapolis is burning down what he saw on TV, which let's not even get into the bias of the news that was reported during that time, which Mm -hmm. I did have to have like several conversations with news directors um, about like the bias that was being shown were predominantly black. And so he's thinking like black people are destructive. They're burning down buildings. And we were able to have a really good conversation where he was calm. You know, you could see his like breath, like being more natural. Um, and it was, it was really great. And, and I chose to share it because we need more of that. Like, we're not all going to agree. We're not all going to agree. We're going to get into heated conversations. We are going to generalize. We are going to have stereotypes. And the difference is if people are willing to stay in the heat and to work through the pain points and to be really self-reflective, like how is my ego contributing to this conversation that's making it go the wrong way? then if we're able to be, have this like accessibility of self-attunement, we can have conversations that are really heated and have a different outcome to, that creates like a level of response and openness versus be boxed into our opinions. Like we can have positioning on things and they're able to be malleable. And I, that's why I chose to like share that because it's possible here we are standing and flames all around us. Like, I mean, I could barely breathe. Talk about like wearing a face mask. Like I could barely breathe from the smoke. And here is a man, like he was white, not even to mention like just in general, like a man coming to charge a female, like, let's even talk about the dynamics of that. Um, was like really intimidating. And if I would have responded in any other way that was at his level of responding, it wouldn't have gone the way that it did. And, and that's like the role of personal responsibility that I hope that people were like, realize that they have in conversations is when someone is at a level 10, you have to be at like a a level negative 10 Mm -hmm. so that they can like come down. Like anger and tone in conversations only fuel like what that is. So yeah, it it like almost has to balance out in a way like you're saying. And the problem is I think on social, it's like everybody's at a level 25 and I feel like people have, well, there's the conversation about like being protected behind your screen. And then also it's like, there are like these different tribes and people feel like they can like come down on the other tribes with the full weight of their tribe. And it's like they, they're so entrenched in their opinion because it's like, okay, I share this opinion with all these other people and we're all right and you're all wrong. And so it, it turns these conversations or what should be conversations between two individuals to like, I'm coming into this combo full MAGA 
and you know you're full BLM or whatever or name your tribe fill in the blank there's freaking that's like all we live in right now like and so it's it's taken away from like what you're saying like we're, we're like not entering these rooms as two people like we're entering them as like two extremely heated level 25 tribes members and i feel like so like when i saw that video i'm like okay this is so good because of everything you just said like you were able to like walk this dude off of a ledge and really bring the tone down and like create a moment of understanding i felt like which Mm -hmm. is something that like why can't we do that you know like yeah well it's really interesting because one of the things that you know also one of the like the yoga ethics is like around self-study and like our self-study is you know really looking inward and everything comes back from a triggered past response like there's always something that's triggering and you know i I, like self-study i probably do it to a detriment like always looking at like faults of myself yeah me too in order to like uncover it. it sometimes i just need to stop way too hard on myself and that but you know i as you said, like on social, something that this might divert a little bit, but I, I, something that is so loud that is emotionally taxing to me is this level of polarization. And it's on a continuum in the intercultural mindset, this us versus them. And after last week and after that as well, everyone's like, oh, you're white privilege and like white people, we got to do this. And I'm like, is that even motivating? Like that, that doesn't motivate me. Honestly, I have emotional distress around it. And so, you know, I really started like diving into it a little bit and it shame is not a way to motivate people emotionally in order to change. It only fuels the fire more. And I I started like researching this um, a little bit about does the terms like white privilege, black lives, like all these polar defunding the police, is that really motivating for people? It's not, it is, it is like, it's absolutely not. And really at the heart of who we are built in our humanity is like, there's three things. There's like empathy, like we are built to be empathetic humans. And if we could really, and I know a lot, this is going to make a lot of people upset. And this is, I'm, I'm nervous, like talking about this because I know that people out there that are like on one end of the spectrum, they're going to, they're going to interpret my words as saying like, well, I'm tired of white people. They can't be, we got to move past empathy. And that's not what I'm saying. Like there's accountability, not shame. And, um, and so we can hold people accountable without needing things to be like really polarizing. And so I don't personally agree. Like number one, like most of my friends and my circles are all white. A fourth of my family is white. My brother-in-law is white. And like my sister doesn't engage with my brother-in-law and being like, well, you need to look at your white privilege, right? Like 
we all have privileges and there's one dimension of privilege, which is race. And a lot of my girlfriends are a lot more heated in these conversations than I am. I mean, where I have to like temper them a little bit. But what I've said to them is like, and I don't even need to say this. And maybe I, I've said it. It's like, if they're in spaces that don't feel equitable or don't feel inclusive, they now have to speak, period. Because they're in conversations and in spaces and, and corporate environments that I may not be in. And when you look at the majority of like work spaces, it's predominantly white. And they're in spaces that they can have bold conversations and, and, and that is where they can leverage their voice because there are privileges that I have too. in this summer. I think you commented on this, like for a little while, I started walking around being like, well, you need to check your white privilege. And I started thinking like, well, is that making it seem like I don't have any, like here I am driving around, you know, in North loop, nothing's getting touched. And my like luxury SUV with my little luxury bag in the seat. And I'm like, I, I need to do something, you know? And so it, it doesn't feel really great. When I go back to is like individuals with empathy, we have to be able to understand the motive behind people's empathy, because what happens is if a person is empathetic they they go into two categories. There's like a personal empathy where they either feel like shame, they feel guilt based on like, oh my gosh, the person that's getting oppressed, like I feel bad that they're getting oppressed. Or they also feel um, like that they are also, um, like there's nothing that they can do. So then it, based on that, based on those two categories of empathy, when you get behind what's going to help motivate a person for feeling shame, they feel so much shame that their motive of doing something could be that it's performative in order to get rid of their feeling of shame. So like, you, you want to know what? I'm going to go take the trash out so then I don't get in trouble. Like that's my only motivation. I'm not going to go take the trash out because I want to take the trash out to like make the space feel good. Like I'm only doing it to get away from this adverse reaction. And when we really understand the motives behind people, like their emotional motives, that's how we get to like, then really get a sustainable pro social justice response and leverage people's empathy and their motive of empathy. So great. If you feel shame, why do you feel shame? Why do you feel guilty? Well, I feel guilty because I didn't say anything in this moment. Like I had a friend of mine, something happened. She didn't say anything. And I was like, well, you're sitting here crying in your own shame. What's your motivation? Why didn't you say anything in that moment? Why do you want to now say something? And when she said what her motive was, I was like, now that when that situation happens again, because it will happen again, because if we don't learn our lesson once or don't speak out again, it shows up again. Now you know what to say, and now you know what to do. And we don't give people the space to fail forward. And I understand 
that we have been, you know, if I want to like go with the populist words right now, white people, we have been saying this for so long and we've been failing forward for so long. I also say, consider there's a new generation that's eager, that wants a different future, that doesn't want history to repeat itself. So where is the space of enrolling a new generation of a white demographic so that it is different? We're focusing on the bottom 3% of white nationalists and white supremacy when this summer, like during the protest, I didn't protest. Like that's just not like my MO. There were more white individuals out protesting, particularly in Minneapolis because the population in Minnesota is predominantly white than there were black individuals. Now, many will say, well, it should be that way because I'm tired of doing the fight. I don't know why I just got really emotional about it, but like, I, like for me, tired never came up because like, I know that I can be a voice that people can come to when they are really struggling with something. And I would rather have somebody say something to me than feeling like they can't go and talk to someone about it. And the ones out there that are doing the good work like I had a, one of my best friends from high school as a vice principal in an inner city school in Kansas City. And last week when the Capitol was on fire, based not like not fire, but you know, she was pulling a black 15 year old girl off the floor that OD'd and put her in the back of her car and was driving her to the hospital. And when they got a hold of her family, they couldn't even get a hold of their family. So people want to say like white privilege. This is what she deals with every single day with educating kids who are black and she's white, blonde hair, blue eyes and fighting for them to see a future that's different. And so when people are saying white people, you need to do more, I get really defensive in the sense that I know that there are people that are doing more and that saying that to an individual like her would only enrage her. Yeah, I feel like that, well, first of all, I appreciate you sharing that. I, th I think, um, yeah, I mean, that's what I'm seeing. And then like when things went down this summer, even before that, honestly, even like literally when Trump got elected ever since then, um, and honestly, even in the Obama era, like a little bit, like you saw this from the other side, but from all sides now, it's like, it felt like when things went down in the, in, with George Floyd and the protests in, in Minneapolis and, and around the world, frankly, it, it felt like on social media at least, like a, a huge percentage of people that I was, were, was witnessing online, it was performative. And I, and I sat back and, and I was like, okay, I tend to see right through people's BS usually like as an empath. I just like, I know, I know mm -hmm. I can see under the surface. And again, going back to like you and I share that, like I feel like we see the world on a different plane. And so 
when things went down, it, it felt like I got really interested and curious on like, okay, kind of what you're getting at where it's like, what's the, what is motivating people right now? Cause I see, I see the people that like are kind of like yourself that are like pushing for change and creating spaces for conversations, uh, for nuance, for, you know, understanding. And like, I'm like, yes, like those are the people that are really going to get it done. But then I saw so many people put on this like cape and all of a sudden out of nowhere become the most like morally gifted like individuals who are like warriors out there to like destroy any other human being that did not have their viewpoint and literally like spew shame from the rooftops. And it was a lot of white people. And it like, it became this really bizarre like exercise of like this manifestation of shame and guilt. It was really, really bizarre. Cause you had like the white people that, and I, I whatever I'll say, you had the white people that like kind of retracted a little bit and like downloaded the books, listened to the podcasts, like had conversations behind closed doors, really genuinely sparked a lot of curiosity in them and, and wanted to learn more and, and all that. But then you, then you, on the flip side, you had the people that were like yelling at people on social media, dear white, the dear white people things like those were like literally every day, all day. And I'm just like watching all this and I'm like, what something these people are playing chess. Like they're not playing or they're playing checkers. They're not playing chess. Like they're like, they're not seeing how this is going to pan out. Like this is not in my eyes, like the, the, the way that it should go. Like, you know, we should be making progress here. Like it's literally just sending people into their corners. And I think I can't remember the book. I read this book like a long time ago written by this neuroscience professor from, I think it was UCLA. And he talked about how if you imagine humans with like their own personal bubble and it it was kind of in the context of like marketing and persuasion, but if you imagine humans with their own personal bubble and if we want to get through to somebody, if we want to change somebody's heart and mind, like we have to find a way into their bubble because what happens is if if we put something in front of them or on them that's outside of their bubble studies have shown not only like on like a neurological level will they reject what they're what you're saying or what you're putting forward but they'll like sprint in the other direction and they'll become even more entrenched and convicted in their own beliefs so I read that like before the Trump election. And so when Trump got elected, I'm like, having read that book, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm understanding this on like a neurological level now, why the country went the way it did and why people went to like their camps after he got elected in the last four years, why people got even more entrenched in, I'm a make America great again person, or like I'm a liberal and like mega people are racist white people. Like, it makes so much sense to me why people are why people are having those reactions, um, and so knowing that information, I'm like, 
do these do people not understand like if you shame somebody or you yell at somebody like you're saying like that is the least motivating thing that is going to make somebody like hate you which is like the opposite of what you're trying to accomplish here and i just like i'm curious where we go from here because it felt like that that has now become uh kind of the default tactic on every on every side there's shame there's shame there's embarrassment there's there's like this it's like everybody is building and I say this is the irony of Trump's whole build a wall rhetoric. Like literally everybody has been building their own wall. And like, I, I just don't know where it goes from here. Like it's become like on every side, on right, left, center, every, like not so much center, but right and left, like in the political body politic, the whole shame and dunking and like destroying people on social media or like this person got wrecked like that's become like heroin Mm -hmm. and like how do you it's like we're all heroin addicts now based on outrage and and moral high grounds and and so you know even after the social dilemma doc documentary it's like is and then you, you pair that with the phone thing and the social media addiction it's like there's like multiple addictions stacking on top of each other that like how do we create rehab for people like how do we how do we rehab from this dark place that we've driven ourselves to like this place that we're in right now in my eyes is of our own doing we've we've created this and now i feel like i spend the majority of my time trying to figure out like you know, what is my place in getting us out of here? Um, what is our place as a society? Like, what do we need to do collectively to like turn this car around and go out of this tunnel that we've, in this hole that we've got ourselves in? Um, I don't know where I was going with that, but yeah. No, you're, you're so right in this. And Brene Brown actually did a podcast this summer about shame and accountability. And she said like, Shame is not a way of social justice. And we, you know, one of the things that, um, you know, when people are like, oh, it's the news media outlets. Well, number one, we're reporting news 24 hours a day when we don't have 24 hours of news to report. So this mass media. But then, you know, me being a journalism major, I'm like, you are also a news reporter. So what you choose to share is also news. And so the shaming and the language and the words, like there's a lack of integrity with words. There are some people that do it really great with accountability. And what you say, said about like this weekend was really opening for me when I led this teacher training about where do we go from here? And all I said to myself is that I have to be able to take the tools of yoga and meditation out into the world. And people may think that it's woohoo and how is this really going to impact anything that's changed? And my 14 year old niece, one of them, she's, she's doing this meditation course. And I think it's like one of the best gifts. And I want to be able to read something to you from this book, this of the Yamas Niyamas that um, two sections in it that really talks about the self-study. And we are so 
confined to our identities. Like we identify so much about our status, our tribe, like who we belong to and who we don't. And I was sharing this with a friend, JC, my friend JC last week. And I was like, I've always been like, you know, like the Adam, you know, like, and it has like little tentacles. I've never wanted to be in the middle of it. I've always wanted to be a tentacle on the end that can connect all different parts. And then I think that that is like the real distinction because then some people have to be right in the middle. And I think the middle is the most dangerous place to be because you're so identified that if like a tentacle were to grow off of you, it feels like you're just being stretched like beyond. And if you just stand on the outside and you're there and you're still connected to the middle, not fully identified with it and you're the witness to it, and another one comes along, then you're able to attach onto that. And it doesn't matter like whatever it is, but this part in the self-study says, as we unpack these boxes of our belief systems, strong and often painful, emotions can be released in the process. So where I think that we really begin is like really taking a look at the self-study and the role of the ego And another part of this that I think that is so powerful is that if we can surrender, like there is a surrendering to the uncomfortableness of ourselves. Because when you look at yourself, like you're wearing like a dirty t-shirt that smells, you got to like wanting to be able to smell it, to sit in your own funk, to sit in your like dirtiness. And just be like, okay, great. I can take this t-shirt off and wash it. And like, not like if, if we're shaming other people, consider like there are areas in our own lives that we're shaming ourselves. We could be shaming ourselves for like a bad relationship, finances, like whatever it is, like it's shame is guilt that we have for something that we're personally lacking. And when we can surrender to ourselves and ultimately love ourselves for our imperfections, we're then able to love and cultivate empathy for other people. And there is this reading in the one of the ethics as well about surrender, like surrendering to really loving who I am, who I'm not. And it says, surrender is knowing ourselves to be part of this divine oneness. And then giving ourselves over to this greater whole, we find in the process that we do not lose ourselves, but instead become part of the greatness itself. And I'm like, that's the answer. Surrendering that we don't lose ourselves, surrendering that because I helped someone else and like, I leveraged my, like, I use my privilege to help something else. I don't lose myself. I'm being in service of another, of another. And we're, we're part of one, like this whole divine. And I, I, I feel like I had this spiritual experience with that. When I went to Kenya, I've been to Nairobi twice and one of the largest slums in, in Nairobi and in conditions that are unimaginable. And I could have put myself in the seat of ego by saying, this isn't right. 
I'm sitting here walking through human feces, and this is the water that they, I use the word they as polarized, drink. And I was with a group and like a couple individuals in the group for Canada, and they felt so bad, felt so much guilt. I'm like, well, who am I to feel guilty? Because what I see in this community, it's pure joy. I just posted it on my Instagram. There was like a boy sitting on this little water thing, like giving high fives and he's smiling. Like they're happy. So who am I to say that these conditions are bad? I'm only putting like what I think is good on the conditions. And what if I was like one with the divine, one within the community, giving the boy a high five, one with like the human feast, like one with all of it. And really surrendering to my own ideology of what it is I think from the seat of ego. And so when you translate that to America and you say like my race, this is the way and we are better. Like who's to say that it's better or that it's bad. Like we're all part of this divine oneness and you know, a big part of this self-study goes back to my own story. And, you know, I'm, I see myself as a witness to this black girl that grew up in Lincoln, Nebraska. My parents were in DC. And a lot of my healing during this was with the black community, honestly, because growing up, I was like told that you're, you know, like it was from black girls that went to school and most of the girls, like I went to a really diverse high school, by the way, thank gosh for this high school. Mm -hmm. Like I graduated in 95 and we had like a gay and lesbian homecoming and prom. We knew about feminism. We, it was like, we were, it was just like Rodney King. Like we were having these conversations. Like we, it was recognized we were in 17 magazine, like all of this stuff, which was like huge for being in Lincoln, Nebraska. Yeah, so our school say. was also known, Lincoln, our Nebraska. school was also thought about like our school had the stigma of being the ghetto um, because it was diverse and we had 35 different languages and we had a daycare. So women, girls weren't dropping out of school and they could teen pregnancy was a thing. So like, Let's make it accessible for them to graduate. So anyway, like there was this group of black girls that consistently called me a sellout or you're acting white. I'm like, okay, it's acting white because I'm like doing well in school, captain of cheerleading and track. Like, I, I don't understand what this means. And, um, you know, I would go to DC and aside from my family, outside of my family, but when we would go into public spaces together and I would speak, people would say, well, you sound white. And thankfully to the rescue of my cousins, they were like, do not talk to my cousin this way, you know, like, but I began then to make myself small. I made myself so small because, and I remember my dad saying to me, the only way that you're selling out is if you sell out yourself, but not being who you are. And if that girl is like skipping class, doing drugs, like all this stuff, not graduating, then you're really selling yourself out. 
So consider what sellout really means. And a lot of this has brought up my own self-study of stories that I personally had told myself what wasn't good and how I viewed like, what is it like to be a black female in America? Because there's so many stigmas. And like this whole year, it's made me in, like have this inquiry about even like, Antonio, this is crazy, like dating, like how many times like I, I self-sabotaged relationships, you know, because if they were interracial, it, it's not often that you see black women dating white men. The likelihood of me dating someone that's white is 99.9% based on where I go. However, and the circles, you know, however, everyone's so identified in their groups and I'm always like on this peripheral, right? Like I don't want to be in the middle and I don't know where I'm going with this, but like the self-study is like, I never fully... attached to an identity of like I am this black female I am you know this is who I am in this fixed way I know that I am a female like so it I know that I am black so there's like these intersectionalities of pieces that I that I have a caring about and I don't need to attach to them fully in my identity that it doesn't make me unempathetic to what's happening. And that to your point, this performative effort, like performing to, like there needs to be an altruistic way of doing this versus like a way of performing versus like getting getting rid of this like negative guilt that an individual has. Because frankly, the people that I've seen you know, posting things and then back in May and whatever, I'm going to be like, what are you doing right now? So I bet you got fatigued. And if you know what your ultimate motivator is, if you know what your story is and why you really care about this, you would still be doing the work. And maybe they are. Um, but, and where we go from here is there's a lot of looking inward and where I've been in this space is I've been giving like space and holding space for people because I know that I've had friends that are having really hard conversations with their family members that they would have never had the courage to have before. And I have a friend of mine, like during the George Floyd and he's white he like calls me one day and he's like, Jones, where are you? I was like, I'm walking down the street. And he's like, well, I was like, I'm inside. He's like, you need to stay inside. (laughs) Cause I think he saw the video. He's like, because I know what individuals he's like watching. There's like, you know, Minneapolis was like confirmed, like infiltrated with white supremacy. He's like, I know what individuals like that will do to you. I'm currently having conversations like that in my own family where I basically just told my sister-in-law to never speak to me ever, ever again. Because last year I went to go see Michelle Obama and he called her a black monkey. 
So he said that to me for the first time this year. And I was like, holy shit. He never said that to me before. I was like, you've never said this. He's like, well, why would I ever tell you that? And he's like, so I'm telling you this now. So I say that to say, we don't know what people, and he, and he told me like what he said to his sister-in-law last year in this moment, you know, when Michelle Obama was on tour, whenever that was, feels like 20 years ago, <laughs> but we don't know what people are saying behind closed doors. We don't know what people conversations are having. And what you said in the beginning of this conversation is like, I feel a sense of hope. I know and believe that people are having the conversations that they need to have. And we don't know what that looks like. And we're shaming people into thinking that something really big is not enough. And it's kind of like the book, The Tipping Point. Small conversations, one conversation after the other, consistently. The optimist bird is consistent is what will create bigger change. I have to believe in that because if I don't believe in it, then I might as well just pack up my bag and like move to an Island alone, you know? Um, and so where we go from here is, you know, like you practice meditation. We've talked a lot about this and like the element of mental health. And what we don't really contribute a lot to is mental health is also being a part of also deconstructing white supremacy and racism. Because mental health is also that I feel so much hatred. I don't know if this is like a new thing. I'm not a doctor, so I'd be really curious. Like mental health is like, I feel so many bad parts about myself that I have to inflict that harm into someone else. To me, that's also a mental health crisis mm-hmm. of like how I view myself. It's there's either like the self-harm and then there's like the harm caused on other people. And like anxiety and all of that, like when we feel that, we can't show up for other people. And so we take it out on other people. And so if we're not taking it on ourselves, it's going, it's happening to someone else. I actually really love the concept of self-study because I have this thesis about the world that I feel as if we've built this defense mechanism as the human race of building up like these masks and costumes and walls and identities and putting on all these things to distract us from the inner work that we're terrified of, that we know we need to do, but we don't do. And instead we, we put on these, you know, facades and these masks, whether it's, I'm going to put on my MAGA hat or, you know, I'm going to put Black Lives Matter in my bio on Instagram and yell at all my white friends and blah, blah, blah. Like you name the thing, like we build these extremely entrenched identities, I think as a, as a distraction from 
that self-study and that that you know breaking down and building up part of what is ironically extremely human um i feel like when i was younger in school one of the biggest things that i took away from i don't know it was like biology or something was like the darwin thing of like the the species that adapts survives and mm-hmm. so i've had that in my mind my entire life and it's such a huge part of my like behavior like when i look at the world i'm i always look at it through the lens of like oh, is this person like extremely entrenched in what they believe or do i feel like they have that ability in them to like be persuaded or moved or or taught something and and changed um and i tend to gravitate towards people that are like way more fluid and open-minded and and nuanced and and that's, i think that i do that for a reason because i look at it not just as like a a great um you know ethos for growth but also just like a part of survival yeah. because i i i attach that to that adaptability thing and so when i see the tribes on social media and i you know have people coming in my dms like randomly yelling at me about god knows what i'm like <laughs> you know you're a very stubborn human being and you're very you're very like can like entrenched in what you believe and i feel like that's gonna harm you down the road you know like i feel like i want to hug you and be like hey it's actually way more advantageous and and empowering for you to be an extremely open-minded individual and to not hold your you know your opinions like so tightly where you're gonna pop like you you have if you want to navigate this world successfully you have to be nuanced like you have to be able like it's a gift to be able to sit with that uncomfortable you know the uncomfortable opinions of others and and like I feel like that's something that we've completely lost. Um, You know, even back, like, again, in high school and things, like, we, you know, when you're in, like, say, AP literature or, like, some lit class and you're reading all these books, like, I, I, the reason why this is relevant, I was, I I go home for dinner every Sunday or try to and have dinner with my parents and we were talking about how um, there's a lot of books that are being banned now that are, like, classics, like, to kill a mockingbird or like different books like that. And, and cause of it could potentially, um, upset somebody or something, whatever. I did not know to kill a mockingbird. I, I, I don't know. I wonder. I did not know that. I'll, I'll have to triple check on that one. Cause when I heard that, I was like, wait, what? I love that that's book. A book that made, that's a book that made me love reading. Yeah. So you're in these AP lit classes and you're having these really difficult, that, that's where you learn and you're having these really difficult conversations that are uncomfortable, um, that are like, you don't really know how to navigate and you're kind of fumbling your way through, but you're learning. And we've lost the art of that. We've wanted to protect our identities so much that we feel like any sort of inkling that this person that I'm talking to could like, give me an alternative perspective that is anything other than mine, boom, I'm going to scorch earth them, blow them out of the, like I'm going to destroy them because I need to protect myself. And 
it's almost like I just answered my own question about where we go from here, but I feel like it's, it's, it's all along those lines of the self-study. I think it's along the lines of we have to look inward and do the inner work. And I, and I look at the rest of the decade and I'm like, we talk about roaring twenties, which is hilarious now to think about. Um, but I look at the rest of the decade and I think that it presents an incredible opportunity to like remove all of these defense mechanisms of protecting ourselves from doing the inner work and just start doing the really scary, like shadow work that is so necessary. Like to me, and that's why like I'm drawn to the mental health thing and that's why I'm drawn to like speak on this and be vulnerable about it all the time with people because you talk about like personal responsibility. I feel like for me, at some point, the universe was just like, hey, you, your role in all this is, is to not become a celebrity and be like an influencer and, you know, speak at the Grammys or the Oscars and give my like, you know, soapbox speech for five minutes. It's, it's actually to like go from conversation to conversation to conversation to conversation and change people's hearts and minds that way. Yeah. And I feel like that's like what even was like the motivator for me to like start this human capital thing was because I felt like, okay, that, if that is my role in all this in the, in the creating the world I want to live in, then let me start this journey of having conversations with other people and putting them, making them public. And Mm -hmm. hopefully if someone listens and picks up on something, then they can go have another conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, Where was I going with this? Self-study. Yeah, that that is... Well, something that you really called out that I think is really good, it's almost like a closet, right? Like getting to the purification. So think of like a junk drawer. Like, again, it's one of the yamas and niyamas. Like a junk drawer or a closet. You don't even know what's in it. And like you just keep throwing stuff in there. And you're like, shut the door. I don't even want to see what's in there. And then you're scared to open the closet door because you're like, all the stuff is going to come tumbling down on me you know, or like things are going to kind of like the Jack in the box as well. Yep. That damn Jack in the box <laughs> that just like scares you. And while it may be scary and things tumble out, it gives you an opportunity to clean, purify, feel light. We've gotten addicted so much to feel, want to feel heavy and like, where can we feel the vitality and the buoyancy and the lightness and I would like doing this self-study just cleans it out. It just cleans out all the things that we've piled onto ourselves, you know, and like uncovering that. And it's a consistent practice to be in the self-study of it. And to your point that you said is like, one of the ways of self-study is like putting ourselves into situations where we're not comfortable, stepping out of our circles, stepping out of our comfort zones, interacting with other people and doing things that are really uncomfortable because if we're in an environment that's not comfortable and we have like a judgment or a reaction to it, it's like, oh, okay, well, 
there's a thing that I threw in the closet and I have to think about what does that bring up in myself? And it's not about the environment that I'm in. It's something that brings something up in me. And so to continuously like put ourselves in the heat and allow ourselves to get burned a little bit, we can be burned and blessed at the same time. Yeah. And I think like on that note too, like, you know, growing up as like being an athlete, like, again, this is where I'm like, okay, is it something unique to me? Like, am I crazy? Because like growing up being an athlete, I like really, really enjoyed training and like that idea of like, and like, obviously you can appreciate this as a Lulu ambassador, like the, the idea of like the catabolic and anabolic states and like breaking things down to like build that concept has like been implanted in me and I'm obsessed with it. And I've been, I've carried that into other areas of my life, into my business, into relationships. Like that idea of like, no, you, you, you have to embrace the uncomfortable because it, that's a sign. Like that is a stepping stone to growth. If you're like, and it, there's a lot of people that like hear that. They're like, okay, that's super cliche, whatever. But it's like n- not a lot of people actually fully grasp the power of it. And um, I remember I had, I had posted something like this summer about like, you know, I want to be able to sit and create a, a dinner table and I want to be able to sit with like an Antifa person and like mm-hmm. a MAGA person mm-hmm. and have them both at the table. And like, for me, like I'm someone where I'm like, fuck yeah. Like I embrace that. Let's go. Can we have Let's, that dinner together. We, we should. Okay. So I'm like, but I'm someone where I'm like, I embrace that. I'm like, hell yeah, let's go. This is going to be a, a great conversation. I had so many people that DM me when I posted that and they were like the classic, like, Oh my God, I can't believe you would say this. Like, why would you give any, why would you give so-and-so a platform? You're such a rate. And I'm like, you're, oh my God, you guys are so, okay. You guys can live in the safe world that you are creating for yourself. I'm going to live in this uncomfortable one because if we want to change the Antifa mind or the MAGA mind, we have to sit at that table with them and we have to engage in a conversation. And I'm curious, like, there's a couple of things I want to ask you. I'm curious about like your thought on that because I can't tell you how many times I've seen the, especially we see a lot with like YouTube personalities and other people or even podcasts where they're like, they get canceled because they're like, why would you give so-and-so a platform? There's that argument. And then I'm also curious what your thoughts are on what I'm calling like the dilution of language. So like, Right now, it seems like everybody is a Nazi or something, apparently, now. Like, and so, like, that's just, like, one example. And again, I'm, I'm taking this from the lens of, like, hopefully by now, at least through my social, you've seen that I'm, I'm agnostic. I don't give a crap about political parties. I'm like, mm-hmm. I will expose Dang. all of them. Um, so this isn't necessarily from a lens of, like, defending the right, but, like, it's more so like I am genuinely curious. Like it seems like everybody's a Nazi now or something. What are we? What are we doing here? Like, wh- like, how did we go from like Nazis putting, trying to exterminate Jewish people and putting them in gas chambers to like so and so wore a MAGA hat and maybe it's like a grandma who wore a MAGA hat and apparently now she's a Nazi. Like, I'm curious what your what is that doing to the power of language and 
how it's almost like the people saying it think that they're like dunking on somebody else, but then the person receiving it's like, okay, first of all, I know I'm not a Nazi. I'm not like wearing a swastika and flag and like I'm like I like people. I just happen to be a conservative or something. Um, that whole Nazi like equivalent can be carried across multiple different languages that I feel like people are diluting. But like, what are your thoughts on that? Because I feel like that's so a big a deal. Like, yeah. So a couple of things that you said, one about the walls getting built there, you know, I've, you've heard me reference this before, like the book Untethered Soul, which is one of my favorite books. And, it, and we do build these walls up or thorns on ourselves. And all we're doing is like consistently moving around so that people don't touch the part of ourselves that we don't like. Like we build these up so that we can't be seen. And that's what I love like about the practice of meditation is like, if we can able to like observe ourselves from a witness and be able to like break those walls down that we're able to see of ourselves, we're not, we're not running from other people. We're running from ourselves and getting caught, right? Like that's what we're really running from. And it's so wild that you bring up this example because it literally just happened to me last week. First of all, I, I love Oprah and I watched her show religiously and she had the leader of the Ku Klux Klan on her show um, back in the 80s, 90s or whatever, uh, David Dines, like the, all of them on. And it was, she got scrutinized for it because she did give the platform, et cetera. And so, you know, I'm from Nebraska and Nebraska, like most of my friends from Nebraska because of my the high school that I went to, like are very... Um, independent thinkers and or liberal minded. Like I am, you know, an independent. I remember, you know, I could not, I did, I graduated when I was 17, but I remember our teachers being like, don't identify with the party. Like they were just like hippy dippies, like do not identify. And so I, I, I don't identify with the party because I think that it's like, once again, in this polarized mindset, but <laughs> I um, had a person of interest like last year who is a um, major Trump supporter, major, to the point where I'm like, so you support him individually, but what about the Republican Party as a whole? Because what people don't also realize is like the Republican Party theoretically, people of color would identify with the old ideologies of a Republican party. When you think about religion, when you think about like, like all of the conservative viewpoints, that's how the Republican party identified. I don't know if this is true or not. I'm not a politician, historian, but once like the Marriage Equality Act passed, I think then that's when it became like a question mark with how does the Republican party then like, what are their viewpoints? Cause that was a huge part of their platform. And so anyway, this friend of mine, I was like, okay, he was a friend, old pursuer. He's a white male. And it was like a real eye opening for me. Like, like about what I would need more in a relationship like this whole year kept, I was like, I'm going to be open to this conversation about like, why does he really like Trump and would consistently send me things. Number one, he's a co like 
conspiracy theorists on COVID, but then like would send me all of these videos of like Hunter Biden, like coked out and bet. I'm like, this is, this just isn't okay. Like, this is just below the line, like far below the line. And he's like, hurry up and watch this before it gets pulled. I'm like, well, if I have to watch something that gets pulled. I shouldn't be watching this. Like, and here's a part of me with like journalism, right? Like, where are the facts? Like we went through three new news sources. Now there's like these third party news sources. Like what is even true? And would send me all of these things, all of these things unsolicited and the height of George Floyd also sent me multiple different videos of conspiracy theories of like George Floyd is the one that incited like this. And I was like, dude, now you just draw you. I'm putting a hard line in the sand. Do not, do not dare send me this anymore because no one deserves to lose their life. I don't care who you are, period. So if you're going to say for, if you're going to say you're pro-life of a Republican party, but then you can't be for this. So you're, you're, what you're revealing to me is that you are supporting Trump as a individual dictator, because he's not for the whole party as a whole, right? And I have voted for Republican presidents. So I go on both sides. Well, last week I sent him a video and I said, and I was like, okay, well, we're going to agree to disagree. I'm not voting for Trump. I didn't before you go ahead and vote the way that you are. I'm not. And so last week when he sent me, I sent, I reached out to him, bad mistake. And I was like, so I'm reaching out to you because you voted for Donald Trump. And I'm watching a video of Donald Trump saying, I will march down to Washington with you. And we're going to protest. And this isn't right all because he lost. I did not hear Mitt Romney do that. I did not hear George Bush do that. Reagan, like there's so many, there's so many people that did not do that where they're rallying and Trevor Noah just posted a video on his show on the daily show where he had like white nationalists. If no one's seen that, I encourage everyone to watch it because the FBI has just proven that there have been more anti-Semitic and white nationalist cases that they have dealt with as a result of Trump's presidency because of what he's incited. And I was like, so my family is from DC. I have walked on the steps of that Capitol. I've been in there. When I watched that, I thought of 9-11. Like, so when I'm seeing protests and everything, like my PTSD comes from like mass shootings. And then when I saw that, I thought 9-11, if there's a terrorist attack, people just easily saw how easy it was to go into the floor, the Senate floor. And he was like, this was his response to me. Well, I didn't like that the fifth precinct was burnt down either. And this was like the left calling out like COVID and et cetera. And I was like, well, first of all, let's fact check. It was the third precinct. Get your story straight. And I sent him an image 
of during the protest of all of the hypocrisy on the national, the capital of the military standing there when Black Lives Matter just came. And what they're doing is fighting to say, we want to live. And he literally wrote to me in all capital letters, come on, exclamation point. The only person that's fighting for your freedom right now is Donald Trump. Uh, I don't even want to know what you responded with. My response was this. Rosa Parks, Martin Luther King, Nelson Mandela, my grandfather who fought in the Vietnam War, my grandmother, freedom riders, Malcolm X. The, I, I made a whole entire list. John Lewis, even Al Sharpton, Jesse Jackson. Those are the individuals that fought for my freedom. The ones that lost their lives. When three months ago you were watching the funeral of John Lewis, how dare you compare Donald Trump to a man like John Lewis who literally laid his life down getting beaten and saying that Donald Trump is fighting my, for my freedom. He hasn't shed an ounce of blood for someone else's freedom. And then I said, until you find that your freedom is at jeopardy based on the color of your skin, then we can have this conversation. Until then, do not ever say to me that Donald Trump is fighting for my freedom. I am free. There's slaves before me that made the constitution and 13th amendment because of me. I don't need freedom. I am free because of people that died before me. So excuse me. Like, I don't know if we can swear on this podcast. Can I swear? Yep, absolutely. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> like for even like, were you sitting, were we sitting in the same history class? What has Donald Trump done to like liberate my freedom? Like my freedom is my own free will. So like, thank, I'm like, thank goodness I'm in, not in Minneapolis because if I would have walked by this individual, I don't think I would have been it. So I was like, I had to like meditate on that, like sit for a little bit. And then I just like messaged my best friend and I was like, man, doesn't God have a way of protecting us from the people that we thought we should have dated? <laughs> Never. <laughs> yeah, that's a, that's a wild. I'm like, whoa. So like entering this conversation with him, I was like this conversation, like he would have been at the dinner table with me. I would have welcomed him at the dinner table with me. But then I would have filled his soul with, I would have filled his belly with food and I would have filled his soul with knowing that your words matter. You saying that Donald Trump fought for my freedom was completely speaking out of pocket. Mm, that's good. I love that. And so like, you don't know what you're talking about in this moment. And so I just need you to chew on that little raw steak for like five <laughs> more minutes. Sorry for those who are vegan out there. I just need you to like, keep swallowing that like salad for a little bit or like 
until you realize what you said. And like, there was no part of him that was grounded in himself. Mm -hmm. Like if you're grounded in yourself and guess what? He didn't respond to me because he knew, oh man, I, wow. Right. There are other people that fought for the freedom. I, I can't respond to that. Either A, he didn't respond because he knew like this, like he wasn't, this wasn't a battle worth either taking or I'm not going to continue this conversation or, oh man, I was wrong. And so when you're not grounded in yourself, like then, then, then that's where I want to like be able to like call people into it. But I believe in calling people in at the dinner table, sitting with them sharing a meal, breaking bread with them, even if it's against opposing sides. The kitchen to me is the heart of the household. And it's like where dance parties happen. It's, and everything comes from the kitchen. So a meal on a table, if you're going to disrespect like a meal that a person makes for you, and that I say that figuratively of like, in a conversation and you're not sitting there eating and tasting the seasoning of the food that you're eating. And you're, you're just like chewing and eating really fast. That exemplifies how you're going to speak to people. Oh, hundred percent. I feel like, so you have to like taste all the seasonings and flavors in your mouth. If you can taste all of that, then you're going to speak that way. So yeah, I want them sitting at the table. Let's bring them on. Should we do that? We, we definitely should. And I think, um, I feel like on to your point, like if you're not grounded in yourself, you're at the mercy of the, the tribe heroin stuff. Like, yeah. so for him, when I'm hearing this, it's like, okay, this is a clearly just like a, I'm going to drink mega heroin guy where it's just like, I know plenty of those people and I know plenty of the people on the opposite side where it's like yeah. literally like I'm going to go on my phone every day and scroll and just like, oh, inject mega into my veins. Like those people, they're out there and they're and they're very loud right now. And I think it's it's been a challenge for me. Um, luckily, I think for me being really vocal on social and just kind of like not really giving a shit and just kind of saying what I say and calling out hypocrisy and doing it with humor sometimes like I've garnered a lot of people who DM me and they're like hey I'm like I want to have a conversation with you like in private because I would get wrecked if I asked you this question publicly um so I've been able to like build up a lot of really cool relationships that way but um a lot of people it's just like man you like i don't even know how to get through to you because you just say bullshit like that like what 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 kind of like grenade did you just throw at this conversation that is completely just like you're saying out of pocket no like what is that how is that constructive at all and i feel like on every from all the different sides right now people are just throwing out they're just being reactive and just throwing out these word grenades whether it's mm -hmm. like what that guy said to you or again, back to my, like my Nazi example is like, okay, like I saw, I was listening to a podcast, um, the other day and about the capital thing. And they were talking about how, um, there was 
actual Nazis, like actual white supremacists at the Capitol. And um, this one guy like interviewed them and they were talking about kind of the alt-right movement and, how, and all that stuff. And it was like a actual neo-Nazi. And so I'm sitting here and I'm like, okay, there are actual neo-Nazis here that need to be exposed. But then like the grandma carrying the flag in the Capitol, who was like 95 years old, that woman, I mean, bless her soul. I don't know. Maybe she could have some crazy opinions on people, but like just from first glance, I'm like, is she a Nazi? I don't know. So it's like, if there are actual Nazis, does it dilute when you just so cavalierly throw out Nazi or, oh, you're a BLM writer. Like when you throw out these, like this verbiage cavalier, like in such a casual way, I'm worried that it like is just, it's diluting the message. Yeah. What are your your thoughts on that? Well, yeah, it's, it's exactly the same as like defunding the police, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's making it so polarizing where people just say it like, like rolling off their tongue and then they don't even know like the intention behind it, you know? And, um, like black lives matter. I just had actually had a conversation with a colleague of mine, a senior leader. And he asked me like, I want to know your thoughts on this. Cause I'm really struggling with this. Like I see this happening and he's European living in Minneapolis. It's like, I see this happening with some instances where I see like black men, they're resisting arrest. And I want to believe in black lives matter. I was like, well, then this is where you're collapsing the two things. Like that's because people are so cavalier with how they're using it or like defunding the police. And it's like, no, your intention behind it is saying like, that that is such, if I was like a marketer, I'd be like, what we need to change all of these names because it's, it really puts people on edge of, and there's a lack of impeccability with the word, you know, it's kind of like four agreements, be impeccable with your word, say what you mean, you know, like I, my niece, like she um, is 14 freshman in high school and she just transferred schools because of an experience that her whole school had experienced with racism. And so she transferred to a more diverse school. She was going to this like, you know, like affluent preppy little school and she said well yeah I'm going to the school because if that were to happen at x school the person would get hit and I was like is that what you really mean she's like well I wouldn't hit someone I wasn't raised that way and I was like well what then what do you mean and she was like well it wouldn't be tolerated and I was like well then you need to say that because you saying that the person would get hit is only making it seem like then you're promoting violence and that hitting someone is the solution to this. Be impeccable with your word and say what you mean. And we've like lost that as well, like with our language. And, you know, to your point, you said this is like neo-Nazi and like all this stuff and we've like gone to that place of it like when did we ever get to this place I don't I don't know all I can think this is my own like thinking is that we've been isolated in COVID and all of our demons have like started uprooting and no one knows how to process them Mm -hmm. 
And so it's like this whiplash outward and like reaction. And it's, it's, um, I don't even know how to put a lid on that, but it's like, like, oh my God, you know, it's like, yeah, I, I don't even know. Like, I just, I w- I'm listening to Barack Obama's book um, right now. And in one of the chapters he was talking about, you know, he's obviously first black president that he had to get every, um, he had to get every single word 100% right. And like 100% was like, basically is like anyone that's ran for president know that that's like impossible. And he was talking about when he was in this speech in Iowa and he was talking about the war in Iraq. And he's like, the second the word came out of my mouth, I regretted that I even said it. And he said, like, he was talking about people that fought in Iraq and like he was scrutinizing the Bush administration. And they were talking about, he was like, now him sending in all these troops, their lives were wasted. And he said, the second I said the word wasted, I regretted it because I knew that that was going to discount all of these men and women that chose to fight fight for our country. And I just said that their lives were wasted. And so I thought that that was like such a great awareness for him that like, I have to get every single word right. And I don't think that people, we don't hold people accountable to their word and how their words have impact. We like, that is a whole part of our being. And we don't have, we don't hold accountability to people to the impact of their word. We're like, oh, we give them a pass. Like, we know that you intended this. Well, what if we stopped looking at the intention and held to accountability of the impact? And like, then we wouldn't have to really talk about intentions anymore because people would speak with intentionality and the impact would match their intent. And so are we like really looking at the right thing? But, you know, it was my niece, like that was hard for me to say to her because I could have like easily made her feel bad for saying it. And I know that sometimes it's hard for me and I don't say the right things all the time as well or use the right words. And I'm more comfortable now with people like, like correcting my, the impact of my words so that it does have the right intent, but it's scary to do that. There, there really takes a lot of courage to do that. And, um, and the meaning that we put behind it. So when people hear black lives matter, they immediately think like this thing. The thing about MAGA and make America great again is number one, it's a piss poor slogan Two, it's the meaning that the current sitting president has put behind it. And in this Trevor Noah clip that he talks about that and there's a white nationalist and there's this guy, he wrote this book, like it's called like rising. And he basically talks about the tactic when Donald Trump was like saying like, oh yeah, these people are coming into their country 
we need to build a wall. We need to do all of these things. And there, he's like spewing all of like the negative stats to go against it. That was the platform that Make America Great again sat on. So then Make America Great, this awful slogan became an ideology. And so like now here we are with MAGA because now we got to acronym it, right? Like make it hip and cool, not to be trite about it, but like, and so now it's become like, yeah, MAGA. Because he's connected so much about how he has oppressed and alienated people with like building a wall and all of these things connected to that slogan. It's, it's then made people believe in something. So when people think about Barack Obama and it was like, yes, we can, there was this hope and dream behind it. So think of those two different, like the dichotomy is like, make America great again, the whole platform that's there. And like, yes, we can. Totally just saying that out loud to me gives me goosebumps because they are so different and so evident in the meaning. And I don't think that people really like think it break that down once again, because we don't take time to sit and rest, go inward and really allow like a discerning on what things mean. And so because I'm like, in what world are we making America great again during Me Too when men were like mansplaining and doing all these things or when like there was slavery or when we had like signs that said colored and like in what world was it great? Like there's the ideology of like, yes, we can make it greater than it was before. Like that is the hope and the dream to keep like breaking barriers to keep making it great. But right now, while I love America and the freedom, because we do have so many more, much more freedom than so many people around the world, we are also looked at as the country that is so aspirational, that's deeply broken. Like we're the heart center of the world. It's so aspirational. And the only thing that we can do right now is fill the gaps and be loved from our wounds and not our scars. And I like to look at all of the white nationals. And this is why I can bring them at the seat at my dinner table. It's because I know their scars behind their wounds. And I'm gonna love them from their wounds and not from their scars because I know their scar is an inner, inner child that is wounded, that they never learned how to heal. But like, I love you for that, but you would get wrecked for what you just said. Like, totally. And guess what? You want to know what? Sorry to cut you off in here. So here's another revelation that I had this weekend. Once again, this trusty little book, <laughs> Yamas and Yamas, is Satya, truthfulness. And what it says is truthfulness is it's not safe, but it's good. And where I'm exhausted in my own truth is that 
there's also been a viewpoint of a monolithic view of Black America. And my viewpoint hasn't been accepted. And so my experience may not be the experience or my thought process may not be the same as like the next Black person next to me. And that hasn't been safe. And so for so long, the like radical in me and the like the radical joy in myself is like, I am utterly tired or my tired and fatigue is, is from playing small and having to silence myself from this truth because I was so scared of getting blasted from other black Americans. It would be like, well, now you're a sellout. And to me, that's fucking exhausting. That's where I'm exhausted that I can't even be myself and have like my own positioning in something without getting blasted. That's what exhausts me. So when people are like, black people are tired, I am tired that we can't all hold our own positions and let them be without getting blasted. Take your torpedo somewhere else. And my grandmother, when I was younger, bless her soul, was all like always said to me, my grandmother grew, I grew up away from my grandmother. She was in DC and she always said, Erica, be the leader of your own voice, never the follower, never the follower of anyone else's voice. I never knew what that meant until this year. And I keep hearing her say that to me over the phone over and you know it's like you're eight years old and you're like okay grandma like all right granny like thanks granny for telling me this and that to me was like really defining the summer and um honestly it was like so healing and like we talk you know in yoga there's like the chakras and throat chakras and I, I used to always say like mine was like energy was stuck and really what it was stuck from was like wanting to be able to say all the all of this so freely and it was never safe for me to say and it's for the good because my viewpoint is not the same as someone else's and maybe someone else out there may be liberated from that because I know that there are other black individuals that are growing up in spaces that are predominantly white that probably think the same thing that I do or are inter in interracial relationships or whatever the case is, that doesn't mean that I don't believe that we need to fight for black America. And people like to make that meaning. I'm not putting that meaning there, you are. So you deal with that on your own. But I totally would get blasted. And at this point, I guess what 2020 is called for the walls came crumbling down. <laughs> so I guess I really don't care anymore. That's, I just don't care. That's so good care. though. Honestly, as you're saying all this, it's like, do you, do you ever feel like when you, when you're navigating the world, you meet another person and like this, whatever, I don't even care. Like, there are people that you meet in your life where it's like our souls speak the same language. It's like we, 
we've and I can't explain it other than that. It's like it's like this this depth and understanding like that you don't get with everybody, but like there are select people that you do meet in your life where you're like it it feels like our souls are speaking the same language. And as you're talking right now, I'm like, you know, this idea of like you finding finding your voice and like last year being like the really the catalyst for really discovering like okay what like i've had this identity or i've had this unique upbringing that i've been you know not running from but like i've been like in this place that is like i I feel like i don't fit in or I, i don't feel i feel like i'm like a black sheep in some ways um for me like I, although I didn't have the same trajectory as you, I do, you know, when I think about myself, I don't know if you know this, but I'm originally adopted from Paraguay. Mm -hmm. And so like full-blown Latino, like, and came and got adopted by like the best family in the world and grew up in Minnesota, like the safest, like most like cozy place. Um, Not a lot going on until you know, recently. Um, but, um, very, very loving family, loving home. And, you know, my entire life, it's been like this interesting, had a lot of great opportunities. Um, but like wrestling with this identity of I'm from a third world country. If I was still there, I'd either be dead or I'd be in a cartel or something who knows. Um, and I'm here though. And like, so I've, I just, I've had that. And then when like th- everything went down the summer, it was like, okay, I feel like I have this maybe unique perspective or I feel like I have the space that I can create for other people that, you know, because I'm like not a white dude or something, maybe that gives me a, a space to ask questions and like, and hold the space for people that are like afraid of maybe getting attacked on social media or something. And, and I feel like that was the case. And, but then in that process, it was like, also like, okay, well then what, like, what am I like, like I've never like identified my entire life as this like Latino man who's like into the Spanish culture and like, it's a unique part of me and I do always lead in conversations with people that I meet for the first time. Like, Hey, I'm adopted and I love it. It's a huge part of who I am, but it just like, it's interesting. Like the whole, the identity journey that we have. And I think that this last year really was the catalyst for me to really go and double down on my voice. Um, I have always been someone that's, been like pushing for people to be uh critical critical thinkers and and to be empathetic and to build the dinner table with the antifa and the mega and like that's always been my modus operandi and um but it felt like this last year um just was the final like burn the ships send off like yeah, there are going to be people that come along in my DMs and yell at me about God knows what or project their own shame and guilt on me in some way, calling me up, whatever. 
but 90% of the people are going to be like, hey, um, I really appreciate you saying this or like illuminating this or introducing this perspective on me. And like, it feels like you don't judge me and you don't kill me if I have an opinion. And I'm like, yeah, we definitely need more of that. Um, but just like everything you were saying, I'm just like, yeah, I feel like you and I have different paths, but like very similar experiences Mm -hmm. in some ways when it comes to like this unique like you growing up in the situation you grew up in like and like having people say you're a sellout and all that it's like it's interesting um I definitely resonate with that um well what you brought up is like you know it just goes to show that like with every all the events that have happened over the same year we don't know what that's bringing up for people. Like you really began unpacking that and identifying that for yourself. So it's so important that we're giving people space to like really process what's coming up for them because so much of what's coming up is like, like you said, I never had to discover my own voice and I found my voice and I had the courage to find it. And this is fertile soil. And so it's so infant. It's like, new baby skin for some people and like let's treat that delicately and we aren't creating the space for compassion and an empathy for it and also like there's a big and there like let's hold space and at the same time get people along further in their journey faster so that we can accomplish what we need to because we don't want them to be in their whole like i using that as like a cop-out for like not doing something but really acknowledge that people it's probably brought up so much stuff for people personally and we're such a society that is like used to grinding and in covid all of our cans, all of our schedules were canceled. Our our busyness was done, and we don't fully know how to rest. What I mean by rest is like rest our thoughts and rest with the need to do. If we could focus on being rather than doing, and I think that, like, because I'm not busy running my kids around and I'm not going from this thing and that thing well, I'm just going to channel it somewhere else. And like that, and like, let's just rest. Rest means also holding space for people. And so all of the energy that was taken away from us in the doing was this then putting out somewhere else. And what if we could just be? Like, That's so hard for people. Like So hard. And I feel like that, that is like another, um, what's the word? Like another reason why people really need to build as like, you know, Brian, you know, Brian. Yeah. Like like we talk about the mental health toolbox. Like we talk about these resources that like nobody was equipped or ready for everything that went down last year. And um, how can we shift that? Like how can we start to equip people with, the tools that are needed to do the inner work and to to rest and to sit in those rooms that are full of their demons, full of those monsters and like 
really start to, you know, wrestle with that. Yeah. Well, it's, you know, it's like you meditate, I meditate and I'm doing teacher training right now with meditation. And it's, it's like, if we just allow, like, if we can embody that and like show people that that's okay, we give other people permission to say that's okay. And the more that we can make it accessible for people, there's like so many stigmas around the practices. It's like when people think of like meditation and mindfulness, they think of like, oh, I'm like, I'm sitting here and I'm oming and, you know, I have this like mudra and after yoga, I got to go get my like green juice and do all these things. And then it makes it inaccessible with actually like really what the practice is. And that, you know, kind of leads a little bit to the, like the yoga coalition of, you know, it just came to me of like, I practice yoga and I've always been practicing yoga for as long as I know, because in my head, it's like this self-study. Eight, 90% of yoga is not the asana. It's all about like the work internally. And so when I think about it, I'm like, oh, I've been doing this all my life. I just, there was no formal name, but I never saw anyone teaching it or practicing it the way that I did. And the reason I wanted to like create the yoga coalition is not to like, you know, when I first started and it's kind of like, I put it on a little pause because it was going into a way that I didn't, or the outside influence was going into a way that I didn't feel aligned with of like, we need to tear it down and deconstruct like white colonization. And I'm like, I know like this practice is meant to be used and credit accredited from where the lineage of where it came from and brought out like the intent of yoga is to end all suffering. What I want to be able to be able to do is to like create it to be more accessible for people and to show the methodologies and to make it more equitable so that more people of color are getting access to yoga so that they're then going into these, like yoga now is over like a $3 billion industry because of the marketing of it. So like, let's get more people that don't look like the people who are running it. And then we don't have to worry about like this decolonization of whatever, like let's use it to heal. And the people that need it for healing and reformation are like individuals, people of color, making it more equitable so that we're able to build this empathy and hold differences of people. And that's like now everyone was like in this old space and was like, this does not feel good. And I know that for myself, like that is like what's so powerful, like teacher trainings are so expensive. They're like $4,000, especially now in COVID, if you're laid off, who, who can do, who can do that? And so, and I don't believe in like, oh, well, let's give you like this free teacher training. Not everything comes with a cost. My time is a cost to facilitate it. Like all of that. Like let's make the practices more accessible in an innovative way and in doing it. And that is like the whole intention of it. And so for you and like Brian, like the mental health toolkit, it's like the toolkit of being and well-being so that we're able to show up for other people and really take a look at what is our own personal responsibility and our own personal legacy that we're going to contribute to the world to make it better. And if, and like drive on the hope of that. And I, it's probably like a bottom 10%, which I just don't even want to deal with them. 
but 90% of the people, if I had to say, what is your hope for America? I bet you most people would say is that we can live in a world where all people could thrive and where there's justice and where there's peace. 90% of the people would say that. Maybe even more. The other ones we can vote off the island. You can't sit with us, right? But I want to focus on those people and help those people heal themselves and give them the tools so that they can like heal themselves faster to be like for other people. And that's like the intent of the yoga coalition. That's the intent of like where I see my personal role in this. And I was sharing with my niece, one of my nieces who's 14. And I was talking with her about this and she's like, but I'm only one person. And we were FaceTiming. We had like these little emojis and she's like, oh, but I'm only one person and I'm only one person. She got it. She totally got it. I was in tears. Like she went from this place of like, I'm only one person, so I can't do anything. And I am only one person because look at Martin Luther King, look at Barack Obama. Like they were only one person. And anyone that that's out there that's listening, like where they don't know where to begin, like you are one person that can contribute to the divine, the whole, and to the greatness. Never question a mosquito in a room with an individual. That mosquito <laughs> will find you. That's so good. Yeah. No, I, I love that. And, and actually on one of my episodes, um, that I had with my friend Tim Bishop, we talked about, we actually talked about Jesus. Like we were like, look at Jesus and had like 12 disciples, like influenced 12 people and like spawned the most transformative movement in the history of mankind. Um, One of them. And that was, yeah, I mean, I, and that's kind of like this on the same, from the same lens of what I was saying before around like, when I think about my role in all this and, that paradigm shift that you have from thinking, okay, I need to be the next Tom Cruise or whoever that's like so famous to like reach the world. And it's like, no, you can do it grassroots. Like you can do it in a guerrilla style where you reach the world by reaching five people and those five people reach 10 people. And then the compounding effect of that. And so that's, yeah, that, changed my perspective on what I want to do and in the world and it also creates a like you feel like you have this um agency like you like okay Mm -hmm. yes I'm one person but I'm also one person and like you're saying and it's like I'm so I'm responsible for what I do and so then I'm going to do this this and this Mm -hmm. and I have the power to do that and hell yeah I'm going to go 110 percent of those things I'm not, I don't have to think about 50, 100, you know, thousand other people. Like I literally just need to think about myself and mm-hmm. what, what my actions are. And I need to pour all the energy into doing that and then move the, the needle that way. I love that. I'm yeah. curious. Um, one thing that I love to do every year is like think about a theme for the year. Like my theme last year was like my word was like discipline. And my word this year or my phrase is show up, um, like show up for myself, 
show up in my relationships and my business um, with this podcast? Like just what am I doing on a daily basis, weekly basis, monthly, whatever to like show up and like build upon that voice that I found last year and, and really nurture that. I'm curious um, if you've thought about that for like this year. Yeah. Um, I've been thinking about that. So like when I'm not having any goals, like I haven't been like a setting goals for the past few years and I love like having the word and um, a word that keeps coming to me a little bit. It might change by the end of this month, but there's something about um, purity. And what I mean by that is purity is um, letting go of the things that don't serve me, letting go of like cleaning out the closet of myself and others, um, meeting each moment with pure intention, um, not with my own like story of how I think something's going to be, you know, like it's even like going to Whole Foods, like, oh my God, it's going to be busy at this hour. That's like an impure thought. Um, and so I think that that's like a little bit of the word that's showing up because then it allows me to have grace and openness to people. And um, so that's the word right now. It might change. I love purity. that. Because, yeah, it's, it kind of gets at what we were saying earlier too, but like people bring in all this baggage they bring in all this weight to these conversations. So like even like I, I get the most random DMS from people, good and bad. Um, and some of these people just like unload and like, will just come into the conversation having not actually talked to me in person ever, not knowing who I am really. And they'll be like, Oh, you, you are but X, Y, and Z and it's, you're dangerous and da, 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 da. And I'm like, man, you are holding on to this weight. Like you're like, you are coming into this with so not a pure lens, like you're saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and what could we accomplish as a human race if everybody w- went into an a interaction with a clean plate, <laughs> like a, just the mm-hmm. clean slate, like, what Mm -hmm. could be created and discovered if that was the case. Um, I love that. I really resonate with that. Yeah. Well, I know that we're at time, but like we should have, we should think about that dinner table. Yeah. I'm, I'm so down. I think um, when we can open, because I don't think that we can have it in one of our places. (coughs) Mm. We don't want that energy in our place. Yeah. No, no, no. I think we need it at like an outside establishment. Yeah. Yeah, I've thought about um, how cool it would be to like, because to me that seems like a some sort of series or some something worth filming, and um, for sure that would drive people crazy. That would that would. I know of a person that would be so great to film it. Yeah, mm-hmm. nice. Yeah, it's something we should explore. I think um, I feel like you and I are on this path this year where it really feels like. Um, and then correct me if I'm wrong, but like, it feels like we're both, you know, there's a lot of people that got, that got wrecked by 2020. It did not feel, or does not feel like you and I got wrecked. It feels like we, we 
it was like the great accelerator for us or like we we started this journey of discovery and like inner work and self-study as you say and 2021 is really just like a okay we're going from like a the crawl to the walk to like now we're like okay we're gonna start to hit our pace this year and like it feels like a building year so i feel like Mm-hmm. this would be the year to like try something like that and not be afraid mm-hmm. to do it. Yep. I, and I know a friend that could cater for us, the dinner. Nice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be, that'd be wild. I mean, talk about like energy coming into a room. Oh my gosh. I Oof. We need to like, um, what's the stuff that you. Palo Santo. Yeah. Room? Yeah. Need to do that. We, just get, we would just have, we just have palisando wood burning the whole time. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. Last thing before um, we wrap up, I always like to do a segment with people, and this could spawn into a whole other conversation, but um, that I want to call start calling Untapped. Um, the idea with this podcast and this kind of movement and this idea of human capital is like we all have this we, we like universally as humans, we have these things within us that are untapped. We have these things within us that are waiting to be leveraged and used that are, again, similar to what we talked about before, could be buried right now in the closet. And I always like to ask people, like, is there a part of you that is untapped, that is waiting to propel into the world and, and be seen? Um, and if so, like, what is that? Yes. And I don't know. So, um, I say like, I say, I don't know in the sense of that would mean putting, be putting like a fixed view on in an expectation. However, what I know is I can feel it. Um, I can feel it internally. Um, and I don't know what that is like every single day I just ask to be used as a vessel and um to be in the flow like you talked about so I don't know what the untapping looks like like heavens forbid whatever was untapped in 2020 I would have never imagined that and I know that there is so much more in me that's like percolating and wherever it goes to, I, I don't know fully what it is. I, I know a part of it is making people feel a sense of belongingness, bringing more empathy from a place of restorative healing and from a place of like rest giving people permission to feel like what they feel, telling people to like slow their roll and rest. Um, And bringing hard conversations like this to the surface in a way that's like more diplomatic. And I don't really know what that looks like. So the answer is yes, and I don't know because I, like that's a curiosity of me to see like all the work that I do now, I think it will reveal itself in its time. And I'll like 
present it, I'll approach it with much purity in that. So I don't even like plug in what I think it needs to look like. I love that. Yeah. And that's, I feel like that's the best mindset to be in with that. I feel like that's kind of where I was the last couple of years. It's just like, okay, there's something here that I feel like is wanting to break out. Uh, I don't have the language for it. I know exactly what it is, but I'm going to like sit and meditate on it, you know, day in and day out and just ask, you know, can you send me this clarity? Can you show me what I need to be the path that I need to be on right now? And then one day it's just like, boom, there it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm envious of you cause it's such an amazing that like pre epiphany is like such a cool spot to be in. And it's a spot that I personally had to like learn how to sit with. Cause like for me, I'm like, Oh my God, what, what is it? Like, what is the thing I need to be doing? Like I need to know. Uh, but this last year really showed me like, it'll come when it comes and you just need to do what you have control over to like create the space for it to come and just do that yeah. day in and day out. And, and surrendering to that, as you talked about, like American literature, it's like a mice of men, Yeah, you know, like, and like surrendering and, you know, having faith in what will be, it will like, it'll all work out, you know, like, this is probably in like a whole nother episode. So I don't want to go down a rabbit hole. Like a couple of years ago, I left a job and I um, didn't work for like, it took a year off and I like, it was terrifying. And at the same time, I didn't know what was going to happen. And I could either choose to lean into fear or lean into like faith. And um, there was like this untapped knowing, like something's going to happen. And what happened was like more, magnificent than what I ever even imagined. And so when we're focused on controlling something like we, it's like the antithesis of like what it is that we get kind of like a mice of men. That's where I really learned that from that book. So they better not take that away from me. <laughs> they better not. That's such a good book. Um, yeah. Erica, you're a blessing. Um, this was amazing. We did almost like we did over two hours. Um, I know. I think I could have won so four fun. hours. So, <laughs> I think we definitely do a part two. Um, yeah. I think we just need to like keep checking in because there's a lot. There's, Lord knows there's going to be a lot of content to talk about over the yeah. next however long. So I really appreciate and, the and time. I'm, and I'm really grateful for you. And I, I think that it's, you know, for your voice and even in engaging in this conversation and the perspective that you bring and how you've held spaces for people to talk about mental health and normalize conversations. I, I really acknowledge the contribution that you're putting out there and in making this normal. And, you know, when you say, I don't know where to go from here, you know, cause you're doing it. And so it feels really effortless. So it's not anything that needs to be like forced of what you think. So thank you so much. Yeah. Awesome. All right, everybody. Uh, that right. is Erica Jones. Oh, real quick, where can people find you? Like on the, the socials. The only thing that I really use is like Instagram, really, and LinkedIn. I don't even really go into LinkedIn, so I would say like Instagram. There probably has to be like a better thing, but I get, yeah, that's that. <laughs> is it Erica? I'm trying to remember. Erica dot Jones. Jones, yeah, underscore. Underscore. Yeah. There's like all these things now. There's like house party and like I just got a thing for club, club 
house or a club hey, party? Or? Don't sleep on Clubhouse. I think Clubhouse could be, it's like, it's like podcasting meets social meets like, yeah, God knows what. I actually think it could be really cool. It's like um, almost like a listening form. I just opened, I just got the invite yesterday to do it. And I was like dabbling in it. And to your point, I'm like, oh, this is like podcasts, like opening listens, listening sessions. It looks pretty cool. I, I'm still not familiar. I'm getting a tutorial from a friend today. So tonight. <laughs> nice. So. Awesome. Well, it was a pleasure. Um, thank you right. so much for coming on. Can't wait for thank people you. to hear this.